And those of you who are coming in through the doors should have received a, a, a packet of salt. If you didn't receive that packet of salt, just raise your hand. There's ushers all over this place who will make sure you have one because we want you, if you are a believer, to, to get one in your hand. Just keep that hand raised. I keep that hand raised. Ushers are going to find you. Here's the word of God that says that you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. For the sake of time, I just want to ask you this question today. I want to preach about how salty are you? Amen. You may take your seats today. How, how salty are you? Thank you, ushers, for your service on today. Bro brothers and sisters, those of us who have been chronicling the life of Jesus Christ through the gospel according to Matthew, we know that Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4 is fresh off the foothills of a victory over Satan. And this temptation in the wilderness, Jesus defeats the devil. And with this particular victory, Minister Tajer, he has set the precedence for a new kingdom and authority. With this defeat, Jesus shows us if, that, if we're going to have spiritual success, Sister Nancy, or if we're going to defeat the devils in our lives, then you and I have to understand this new kingdom agenda and authority. Because Jesus says that the kingdom that John preached was near and the one that I proclaim is now, this new kingdom at hand is one of scriptural and spoken authority. That if you and I are going to defeat the devil in our lives, that you and I have to understand the value of scripture and spoken authority. Because the devil is not going to flee at your name. The devil is not going to flee because of what school you graduated from. It's not going to flee and be intimidated because of the car you drive and where you live and the place of where you work. But he says that if there is a name that you want to throw out, there is a name called Jesus who is the Christ. And that whenever the devil is on your track, you have to learn how to speak the word. You have to learn how to say to him that no weapon formed against me is going to be able to prosper. You have to learn how when sickness is in your body that he was wounded for my transgression, bruised for my iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon his shoulder, and by his stripes I am healed. That we have to learn how to regurgitate scripture, and then we have to learn how to speak with authority, that you can't be a wimp when the devil shows up at your house. That you got to do like Jesus said. You got to learn how to say, get thee behind me, Satan. You have to learn how to say, Brother Wayne, not my child, not my marriage, not my faith, not my finances. That I've worked too hard and God has been too good to me. Jesus shows us how to defeat the devil. And he shows us this because it's important because he is trying to establish this new kingdom agenda and authority. And Matthew chapter 4 begins to go and move that Jesus' ministry has now 
moved into Capernaum. He has moved into the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus goes into the synagogue and he has preached. And, and Jesus' ministry is growing. The Bible says that he is preaching with power and teaching and healing and delivering and casting out devils. So much so that at the end of Matthew chapter 4, the ministry of Jesus is so expansive and, and has expanded so much that people from all walks of life are literally following Jesus Christ. And that's a good point to pause for a moment because what Jesus is showing us is that if the kingdom of God is going to be empowering and emancipating, it has to be inclusive. It's not a social club. It's not a place where we pick and choose who gets to come to the Lord, but we must be willing to accept people from all walks of life. And the and the Bible says that there are people from Syria. There are people who are from across the tracks. And you need people who are from across the tracks if ministry are going to be, you know, expansive. We need people who are from different walks of life. These are people who've had hard knocks. These are people who grew up on Vienna sausages and, and saltines. These are people who had to take a licking and keep on ticking. But these are people who are going to add flavor. These are going to be your servants. These are going to be hard workers. These are people who don't mind getting dirty and getting things done. You need those type of people in your ministry, but there were also people who were from Galilee. Galilee is this community that was without status, strength, or stability. This is the place where Jesus is from. This is the place where people said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? These are the underdogs, but these are the places of your trailblazers. This is, is the place where Peter, James, and John, and Andrew are from. And in your church, you you need people who will sit under you. You need people who will be obedient, who will suck up vision. You need people who you can deposit into and who don't mind carrying the mission and the vision out. But there was also people following him from the capitalists. These are the people who I like to call the thugs. And every now and then you need some thugs in your church because you need some people who don't mind saying, Pastor, I'm with you. We're going to ride or die. If Jesus said that we can have it, let's go and get it. You don't need wimps always around you, but you need somebody with a heart. You need somebody who said, Pastor, I ain't scared. If this is what God said we can have, let's go ahead and get it. If he said we can have Miami Gardens, let's get it. If he said we can have Pembroke Pines, let's go and get it. You need some people like that in your church, but you also need people from Jerusalem. This is, are the traditionalists. The, these are people who keeps us balanced when we don't go off the edge. They, they remind us of amazing grace, how sweet the sound. They remind us of blessed assurance. They remind us to hold on to God's unchanging hand. We need all of these people if church is going to be there. But Jesus now has had ministry success. People are following him. But he has to do something, Minister Kim, because he has these newly unlicensed, non-seminary trained disciples who are following him before they get the big head, before they become too arrogant to speak to, before they get 10 armor bearers that you can't get close to them anymore. He has to sit them aside. He has to take some time with them because he wants to deposit into them that I don't want you coming into my kingdom with the same old mentality that everybody else have. So Jesus bring them to the Sermon on the Mount, which what I call the state of the kingdom address. And Jesus, being a preacher, told them, I'm not going to hold you very long. I just got two items on the agenda. And Jesus said to them, I only want to 
talk to you about two things. When you turn to Matthew chapter 5, which is where we're headed today, he says, first of all, I want you to know how to behave in the world. He, so he gives them the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes is nothing more than how our attitudes ought to be in the world. He, he was just like our parents. He, he wanted to make sure they knew how to act in public. He said, I've called you, and the last thing I want you to do is embarrass me. I, I, I want you to get your attitude together because your attitude is going to determine the church's altitude. And let me just just say to somebody, I know that you are anointed. I know you are Holy Ghost filled. I know you are fire baptized. But the anointing don't give you a license to have a bad, nasty attitude. You, you got to get to a place in your life that people want to be around people that know how to speak to them. I, I know that you're saved and sanctified, but that don't give you the reason to look your nose on at anybody. That don't give you the reason to talk down to anybody. And Jesus want them to know, I I don't care if you can preach with power. I don't care if you can heal the sick or raise the dead, but you need to learn how to treat people, how people want to be treated. He said, that's the first thing that I want my church to realize is that you have to know how to behave in the world. And he says to them that I want my disciples to know that you've got to be categorized by being meek, mournful, and merciful. You've got to be peacemakers and pure in heart poor in spirit and expect persecution. He says, but above all, you have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I don't care what everybody else is doing. I don't care how everybody else is rolling. I am calling you to behave in such a way that even if you don't know one scripture, your behavior will be a catalyst for getting people saved. He says, but not only do I not only want you to know how to behave in the world, he says, but I also want you to know what brand to be to the world. He says, understand, he says, when you look at Matthew 5, 13 and 14, that is Jesus really sharing with these disciples what brand he wants them to be to the world. Let me see if I can make this plain. The other day, we was on a conference call with the emerging pastors around this country and Pastor Lomax and I was on there, and I guess was a pastor, R.A. Vernon, from the Word Church of Cleveland, Ohio, doing a great work in the city of Cleveland. And on this particular conference call, everybody was asking him about his method of ministry. Everybody was asking him about his ministry success. Here is a brother who got kicked out of a church. They locked the doors on him 10 years ago. He started his own church with about 50 people. Now he's up to 20 plus thousand people, five locations. And here's what it was. Regardless of whether or not you agreed with his method for ministry, this is what he was clear on. He was clear on what brand of ministry that the word church was going to offer. There was pastors from all across the country who are very successful, but he was not concerned about their brand of ministry. Here's what he says. At the word church, we're going to have great preaching. We're going to have great praise and worship, and then we're going to do great 
outreach. He says at all at every one of my locations besides the main location, we pick an area in the low impoverished communities. We go into a school. We're not spending our money on budgets and buildings and bodies, but we want to bless the community. So we give away a whole lot of, he said, this is my brand of ministry. So you can't convince me to try to do something else. So every, he says, every son and daughter that I plant have to buy in to my brand. If they can't buy into my brand, they can't represent the word church. And that's where Jesus was trying to get us into text. He says, brothers and sisters, I want you to know what brand of kingdom I want you to be. He says, I want this kingdom to be reflective of two things. If you don't do anything else, he says, I want you to offer light and I want you to be salty. In other words, Jesus is trying to say to them, I am not asking you to be Baskin Robbins. I'm not asking you to offer 31 plus flavors, but I want you to be very specific. I want to be very intentional about what my expectation is. And I think I got to stop here for a moment because I think that we have forgotten. I think we've been bamboozled. I I think that we've gotten off course with what Jesus is expecting of us. Jesus is not asking us to just be impressed with big buildings. He's not asking us to be budget driven and body driven, but he wants to know, are we the light of the world and the salt in the earth? If we can't do anything else, we need to ask the question, how salty are we? Can you just turn to your neighbor on the left and right? Say, neighbor, how salty are you? How salty are you? I I don't want to know about all these other accomplishments you got. I don't want to know about all these degrees you got. I don't want to know how long you've been in the church. All I want to know is how salty are you? Does your life add flavor? Does your life add value? He says, he says, he says to you, he says to these disciples, and I must say to us, he says, I want you to be a brand and not a blend. He says, I'm calling you to be different. I am calling you brothers and sisters. Notice what the verse says. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. He's talking about you. Know it is here. Know it is here. First of all, salt is to be separated. When when he's speaking to these disciples, he, he is putting the pressure. He is laying out the platform. He says, I I know that there's a crowd of people around. I know people are coming from all walks of life. He says, "But, but here is what I need you to be clear on. I need you to be clear that I am expecting you to be the salt of the earth. Now, I cannot tell you what everybody else is going to be and what everybody else is going to do. But what I can say is I am expecting. I'm not asking you. I am informing you that I am expecting you to be the salt of the earth, that you must be a unique and distinct difference than everybody else. I'm not calling you to be a carbon copy. I'm not calling you to be like everybody else. I am calling you to be separated. Oh, I know I wasn't going to get amens there. He said, here's what I want you to know. 
that you have to get to a point and place in your life where you, watch this, prefer to be identified by me than all of the earthly accolades that you have to get to a point in place in your life that you, watch this, that you have been picked out to be picked on. But you have to get to a place of comfort, of recognizing that I must be separated. I cannot blend in. I cannot, let me see if I can make this work. Watch this. The Neolithic people in 6,050 B.C., discovered the value of salt being separated. Here here is what they discovered. They discovered that when they extracted the salt from this salt-laden water that they had, that they discovered that the population grew because the salt was separated and extracted. Let me rewind this for you. They was here. Salt was in the water. They extracted the salt out of the water and then used the salt in its purest state. And they discovered that it had significant growth impact on the demographics of where they was living. Let me give it to you this way. When our salt is separated, when our salt becomes very pure, what Jesus is saying to us is that we will offer growth potential in the life of our community and in your own personal life. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you want your life to grow Watch this. Make sure your salt is pure. Because the purer the salt, the more powerful it is. And I'm talking to somebody now that you're facing some demonic presence. You're facing some challenges in your life. And you can't afford for your soul to be impure. you got to go through a season of separation. And you got to understand it's going to cost you something to get this pure soul. It's going to cost you some friends. It's going to cost you some time. But what you got to say to them is, I want the power. Jesus is telling them that you have to make up in your mind. You are going to be hot or cold. You're going to be in or out. In other words, you can't be godly. Watch this. You, you know, here's what he said. You just got to make up your choice. You got to be, you going to have to be godly. You can't be godly and a gossiper. He says, you going to have to be loving. You can't be loving and a liar. He said, no, no, no. He said, you're going to have to make up your mind. You're going to have to be holy. You can't be holy and hellish. He says, you're going to have to make up your mind. You're going to have to be either anointed. You can't be anointed and commit adultery. He says, you got to be a worshiper. You can't be just a worshiper and a homemonger. You've got to make up in your mind what you are going to be. Let me just say it this way. Because I know you're faithful. He says, but you just can't be faithful. And then unforgiving. It, it bothers me, brothers and sisters, the fact that you are saved. You are saved because God forgave you. And then you have the audacity to be the most critical, unforgiving person in the world.
Well, Jesus is trying to say to you and I, if salt is going to exist on the earth in its purest form, it has to be people who are willing to live a life of separation, not seclusion. People who are committed to holiness and not haughtiness. And people who are sold out for this brand and not wanting to be a blend. But he said not only is salt to really be separated, he says but salt is to stand out. He says, understand this, disciples. Understand this. He says, I understand from the early time of my ministry, I have stood out. I have been a unique difference in the world. He says, and because I was willing to be different and do something different, I have created this brand. And now I am standing out and not blending in. He says, but standing out will come with a price because when you stand out you'll be lied on when you stand out you'll be persecuted when you stand out you gonna make some people angry and upset he said but you must be willing to stand out well let me say it to you to you this way whatever you put salt on salt is going to stand out if you don't want the context to change then don't add salt to it. But, but whatever you add salt to, the context has to change. Oh, it just hit me. Thank you, Lord. G -g God says, see, our problem is you, you ain't got to fuss. You, you ain't got to trip. You, you ain't got to act ugly. You ain't got to act nasty. All you've got to do is just add some salt to your context. If you want that situation to change, just add some salt to it. Because the salt is strong enough to affect whatever. Okay, y'all don't believe me. When you put salt on the snow and the ice, it stands out by lowering the freezing point. When you put salt on food, it stands out by altering the taste of food. When you put salt on a wound, it stands out by making you stand up. When, when you put salt on a stubborn kitchen stain and scrub it with a damp cloth. The stain is going to come up because the salt is just that strong. When you sprinkle salt on watches where places are infested with ants, guess what? The ants going to have to leave because the salt is just that strong. When you want to remove the smell of garlic from your fingers, put lemon juice and salt and the garlic smell has to be removed because salt is just that strong. If you want to remove blood stains, all you have to do is soak, soak it in cold salty water then wash it with warm soapy water and the stain is going to be removed all I'm trying to tell you is this that your salt has the power to stand out if you put it in the context if you put it in the environment but here is the problem many of us don't want to put our salt on the environment we are satisfied with our salt remaining in the salt shaker but Jesus is saying this, that your salt can only stand out when you use it. I, I, I love this part. Salt is, it doesn't stand out because it saturates a strong. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't recommend this for nutritional purposes. But those of us by accident who've ever eaten food enriched in salt, it creates thirst. 
that, that doesn't. Yeah, you, 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 you want to have something to drink when that food is enriched in salt. I'm going somewhere with this. See, when, when, when your life is salty, it ought to create a thirst for righteousness. It ought to create a thirst for people wanting to get saved. It ought to create a thirst for somebody wanting to live right. Baby, if somebody's life is not being different because of your saltiness, then you are not as salty as you think you are. Jesus came here. He came here. He says, not only must your salt stand out, he says, he says, but salt is also to add seasoning. I, I don't have time to preach this whole sermon, so you're going to have to come to the 11 o'clock if you want to hear it all. He says, he says, but, but salt is also to add seasoning. He, he says, he says, he says, salt should season the bitter, the bland, and the bad. The taste of, of salt is one of the basic human tastes, and many of us, if we're honest, use salt to express our opinion of a food dish. When we taste something, we say, well, it needs more salt. It doesn't have enough salt or it has too much. But the book of Job in the Bible is the first Bible, that, a verse book that really contains literature. Look what Job says. Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Look what Paul says in Colossians 4 and 6. He says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you know how to answer each other. Can, can, can I just ask you a question? Don't, 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 don't get mad with me. But can I ask you this question? What flavor does your life give off? Can, can, can you just ask yourself that question? Don't, don't, don't turn to your neighbor, but ask yourself, what flavor does my life give off? That Does it leave a bitter taste in somebody's mouth when you leave their presence? Or does it leave a kingdom taste in their mind that challenges them that I got to do better and I have to be? Jesus is calling you and I as disciples to offer flavor in a bitter, bland, and bad world. Notice Jesus, Jesus came for those who are here taking notes into this aristocratic environment. But he came not to keep church as usual, but he came to add flavor to a bit of bland and religious society. Because Jesus was tired and exhausted of watching people come to church one way and leave the same way. When, when you're salty, it ought to irritate you. It ought to get on your nerve. When you see people come to church depressed and still leave depressed. When you see people come to church down, but ready to throw in the, and still leave the same way. Jesus is saying that if we are going to be the church of the living God, that we have to create an environment that people may come one way, but they will not leave the same way that they came because it's hard for you to come in this environment with all of this salt and not be affected. There ought to be somebody who comes in here on the verge of throwing in the tower, but they encounter your salt and they say, you've added flavor to my life. My context has changed. My life has been different. Let me, let me see if I can let me see if I can help you. A few weekends ago, a few weekends ago, I, I decided 
to, to stay in bed a little bit longer and decided to get up and cook breakfast for the kids and I and, and I wanted to go all out because I don't really cook that much on Saturdays anymore. When you have teenage kids, by the time you cook breakfast anyway, for them it's already dinner. I mean, because they don't want to get up to 1, 2 o'clock. And so I decided that I was going to cook. I mean, this is really not on the Daniels fast, I, I must confess. I, I cooked some Georgia sausage. I cooked some turkey sausage. I cooked turkey bacon. I cooked regular bacon. I made my mom's homemade biscuit recipe. I cooked some wheat toast. I, I scrambled some eggs. I, I, had, I cut up some fresh pineapples, and a lady from the summer camp gave me some mangoes, so I cut up the mangoes. I cut up the strawberries, and all that was left were, were the grits, and I, and I had to cook the grits really fast before I made a dash for the door, and he, everything was there. was looking good, and everything was tasting good. The mangoes were sweet. The pineapples were sweet. The strawberries, the eggs were just this golden color that, that I like it to be. My mama would be proud of me with these homes homemade biscuits with this homemade syrup. I, I, I got to admit, this Georgia sausage, it was better than the turkey. I, I just got to go ahead and confess, it, it was better. And, and this regular bacon, I know it had more grease, but it was better than that turkey. I, I got to go ahead and confess it. And it was good. Everything was good until I got to the grits. When I tasted the grits, I, 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 something was missing. And then it came back to my mind. I forgot to add salt to the grits, and they was bland and tasting bad. And that's how the world ought to be when the church is not there. The world ought to be missing something. It ought to be bad and bland and bitter. But when you show up with your salty self, the world ought to be different. Woe unto the church. If we move out of the community and they don't miss us. Wish I had more time. Y'all got to come back to 11. He says, he says, not only must it seasons. He said, but salt hinders the spread of corruption. Historically, Tony, salt was best, the best known food preservative. It, it was especially used for meat. It, it saved the food from E. coli and bacteria. It, salt was also used as a fertilizer, which is designed to prevent stuff from going bad. God is calling the church to be the voice that prevents a lot of things in our community from getting bad or from going bad to worse. Look what he says in the text. You are the salt of the earth. But look at the question he raises. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? All of my medical doctors and scientists in the building, question I want to raise is if salt is a non-perishable item, how does it lose its saltiness? Understand when Jesus is talking to these disciples, they are surrounded by the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is full of impurities. 
And the main ingredient in the Dead Sea is gypsum. And gypsum had a way of contaminating the salt. And it will contaminate the soul in such a way that it will lose its flavor. Could it be that Jesus is saying, if we don't guard our salt, our salt can become contaminated with gypsum. Oh, don't you look at me in that tone of voice. Like your salt can't be contaminated. Matter of fact, I'm looking at some contaminated salt now. That's the reason why you hadn't praised God all service. It's because your salt has become contaminated. Because when your salt is pure, when you think about the goodness of God and what he's done for you, a praise will rise up. A thank you will come out. A hallelujah will scream. Do I have anybody in this house who says, Lord, whatever happens, don't let me lose my saltiness. I'm out of time. I'm out of time. Y'all got to come back to 11. But is there anybody here can give God praise for the salt? Is there anybody here who thank God for the salt on your life? Is there anybody here who are grateful that your salt has made a difference? Go ahead, get that packet of salt in your hand. Get that packet of salt in your hand. Repeat after me. I am the salt of the earth. God has called me to be separated. He has called me to stand out. He has called me to add seasoning. He has called me to hinder the spread of corruption. Isn't it awesome that God will put that much confidence in you? That you got all that power. I know it's figurative, but that you're holding power in your hands. I, I, I'm going to talk about it at the 11 o'clock service. I just don't have time here. The Dead Sea is so salty. It's oxymoronic. That nothing can die in the Dead Sea. Because of its salt content. That's how your life ought to be. You ought to be so salty that when the devil picked on you, he's picked on the wrong person. Our church must become so salty that when people come in here with short dresses and Tiffany diamonds in both of their ears, don't look the part. We don't go to them, chastise them, and judge them. All we do is just add our salt. Because if your salt is powerful enough, the dress will get longer. The earrings will come out. The language will change. I want to send this invitation to somebody in this building. You're around all of this salt. And it's become attractive to you. You don't know Jesus Christ, but you say, you know, I want to be that salt of the earth. I want to be able to make a difference.
I thank God that he can see value in me. So much so that he can say, you are the salt of the earth. Perhaps in your life you've never felt valuable. Perhaps in your life you've never felt that you made a difference. But that's the difference between Christ. Everybody is valuable. Everybody has something to offer. Maybe you say, you know what, I'm saved. But I love the flavor of the fountain. I love how salty this church is. I want to connect and become a part of it. I want to grow where I'm going. I want to go where I can make a difference. I want to go where people won't judge me, but they'll just add salt to my life. If I'm talking to you, move from where you are and come to where you need to be. And I promise you.